0: On the same page, A Good Omens Fan Fiction by Chekhov, read by Gal 86 Part 1. Chapter 1. Can you believe this? Aziraphale looked up, directly into a chiseled eight-pack of a half-naked man. Something about it was unbelievable, he had to concede. Surely real people were not meant to have that many abs. Recent scientific marvels aside, what would their use even be? But that was beside the point. The rest of the details more than made up for it. There was the flowing dark hair, for example, and the half-lidded bedroom eyes. Were they green? Blue? It was hard to tell. And then there was, of course, the girl on his arm, slumped dramatically as if she had just discovered a human-shaped fainting couch for all her late 19th century fainting needs. That was a bit overkill. Hmm, yes. He said right before reaching up to touch the abs, and then pushed the romantic fiction book out of his face where it had been hovering. It's ridiculous, said Gabriel turning the soft cover around to take another look at it from an arm's length. This is what passes for literature around here? It's obscene. It's practically pornography. Aziraphale gave another vague noise of ascension and then looked back down at his own table and tried to refocus his attention on the letter he was reading. Dear Mr. Fell, it began, I've been a fan for the longest time. I can't tell you how much your book has meant to me. Just when I was beginning to lose faith, your words reassured me that the Lord is out there, looking out for us. You previously mentioned in a panel that you struggled with your writing sometimes, but now you're a big-time author, and I can't imagine anyone better suited for fame. Like you said, the Lord works in mysterious, no, ridiculous ways, and I... Reaching up, as Aziraphale rubbed the bridge of his nose, and then used the momentum to push his glasses back up. Much as he appreciated the fan mail, it was difficult to focus on the words when the image of the mini-abbed hero and his damsel in distress were burned into the back of his retinas. Do they have to use those ridiculous artistic depictions every time? He thought to himself. Who draws those, anyway? To think... Continued Gabriel at his side. That such nonsense is displayed alongside your own works. Doesn't it just make your blood boil? This is supposed to be a family-friendly store, isn't it? Aziraphale continued to stare down at the letter, chewing the inside of his cheek. He was not about to answer. These tirades usually ran their course without him ever supplying any necessary feedback. It was easier that way, he'd found. That was, presumably, why Gabriel had become an editor in the first place. He was good at voicing his opinion, constructively or otherwise, and he enjoyed it. More importantly, he never took no for an answer. It was a double edged sword for his ear, Phil, but he rarely had room to complain with the deals they'd been getting. Maybe I should speak to their manager. Gabriel glanced towards the cash register. It was on the opposite end of the store, and thankfully far away enough that no one would hear him. "'I don't think we ought to stir up trouble,' said the long-suffering author warily. "'They were the ones kind enough to offer to host the book signing.' "'Nonsense,' Gabriel shot back. "'They're lucky to have us.' Your visit has brought in hundreds of customers, and if they know what's good for them, they'll know they shouldn't be stocking this kind of trash right next to good Christian content. Azirfield suppressed another sigh. And, oh, just as I thought, said Gabriel darkly. Guess who it's by. The author next to him folded up the letter without finishing it. Who? he said flatly, though he already knew the answer. Who do you think? The one and only Anthony J. Crowley. Gabriel tisked disapprovingly. That heathen. I swear, back in my day, we didn't let just anyone publish books. There were standards, I tell you. Books used to be for education, for the arts, and about spirituality, not this drivel. What's it teaching anyone? How to fornicate? Without pausing, he turned around and replaced the book on the lowest shelf he could find. I'm telling you, he added, standing back up and straightening his jacket. He should have stayed where he was, blogging away and writing the, the fan fiction nonsense. That would have been good. Keep him out of the public eye. Instead he just had to go and make it big on the sinful rubbish. Romantic idealist. Bah. It seemed they were coming to the tail end of this complaint train. Usually it only took a few minutes for the editor to get it out of his system. And sure enough, once the list of grievances about one Antony J. Crowley had been exhausted, Gabriel pivoted on his heel and stalked off to find someone else to harass. Presumably some unsuspecting manager. Alone, Aziraphale allowed himself a deep sigh of relief, Rolling his shoulders a bit, he turned the motion in a full-body sweep and oh-so-subtly reached down to pluck the book from the shelf where it had been abandoned. With another glance towards Sir Minnie abs on the cover, he flipped the first few pages, skimming the lines with a critical eye. In all ways but one, the Lady Annabelle was a typical woman of the court. She had inheritance aplenty, she had her wit and charms, and the only thing that set her apart from the rest of the fair maidens in the villa was a secret she held on to more tightly than her corset held on to her ample bosom. He wasn't really reading that intently, but apparently he had immersed himself enough to jump when another voice approached the table. you Mr. Fell. He fumbled to shut the book and looked up at the young woman who had materialized in front of his table. Ah, yes. You look nothing like I imagined. Azirfeel forced a cordial smile. To be fair, she didn't look like his typical reader base either. Much younger than usual, and much more unique in the way she chose her fashions. In fact, judging by the inverted pentagram hanging over her throat... She fit in much more with the other group he came into contact with most often, the one Gabriel called his haters. Personally, Zeerfield didn’t hold it against them. Some of them had rather valid points, the rest, well, those he could deal with. He had suffered through enough of it in his youth to hold his own against petty bullies, especially if he only had to interact with them through Twitter which he didn't understand enough to take personally anyway. "'Can I help you?' he asked finally, realizing that she had not said anything yet. "'No,' she replied, her eyes never leaving his face as if studying it. She was American. He took notice of it now that he'd heard enough of her accent, though her manner also helped expedite the conclusion. "'I just recognized your name is all. Figured I should snatch my chance at meeting a celebrity.' I would hardly call myself that. I would, said the woman completely sure. I know your work, religious self-help texts, looking for God's love through art, food, and personal encounters. My aunt loves your stuff, won't shut up about you, you're the next eat-pray-love guy. Wait a few more years and middle-aged moms will be hanging up your quotes in their kitchens." Isaiahfield tightened his smile a notch to keep it from slipping. Fame did not suit him in the slightest, on the contrary. It was like an itchy sweater he'd been forced into for Christmas photos. The issue was, he was expected to continue wearing it for the rest of the year. I'm afraid I'm not that exciting. As you can see, my fans are nowhere to be found. It's lunchtime, they'll be back, replied the woman easily. Then, with a suddenly sly grin, she nodded downwards. What are you reading? Is that any good? As Azirfield followed her gaze and realized, with some chagrin, that the book cover was still blatantly visible, even with his feeble attempt to cover it up with his splayed fingers. Oh, he said, fighting a blush. I just picked it up. Haven't gotten very far in, really. Do you know it? I do but I feel like it's not really your style. She said, and it wasn't clear whether it was her way of speaking or if feel was legitimately being made fun of. That's Anthony J. Crowley. Historical romance fiction, but it's a little risque. You might find it um, less than wholesome. If you want, I can tell you which parts to skip, and you can just enjoy the E-rated ten-page descriptions of 18th century chapels and medicinal use of herbs. That does sound like a lovely time, Aziraphale assured her. I'll be sure to avoid them in indecent bits. Good luck, said the girl and turned away, her dark braid swinging. There are a lot, she called over her shoulder. Xerophiel sighed and looked down at the book again. "'Trust me, I know,' he thought to himself. After all, he had written most of them. It was a dark and stormy night. It could stand to be stormier, of course, but one couldn't ask too much of the weather. Embellishment where necessary was one of his prized talents.' A touch of drama here and there really helped to bring out the true colors of whatever prose was suffering at his hand. Suffering. That was really the crux of it, wasn't it? Human suffering. The glue that held together many a paperback. The true fuel of storytelling. Pain. Sorrow. Woes that they all faced. No one wanted to suffer alone. Misery loved company. It was, perhaps, why the self-help genre was so popular with the religious audience. No one loved suffering as much as Catholics. Bless them, really. At least they were an easy sell. He was loath to admit it, but he was perhaps more prone to dramatics and suffering a bit himself. It may have been his upbringing or his character, or the fact that he was full from a pleasant dinner inside a warm car, rushing down the busy London streets and suffering at the hand of the unsympathetic driver, who seemed to be all too cheerfully ignoring speed limits and the physical limits of turning corners in general. It was rather threatening to make his pleasant dinner come back up again, and therein lie the suffering. Well, there were other reasons to suffer, but he was determined to skip on his scheduled moping today. That particular plan was scrapped as soon as his Phil's phone began to sound the first few chords of Vivaldi's winter, distracting him from the artistically smeared view of streetlights out the window. He fumbled for a moment, glanced at the display needlessly—Gabriel, who else would it be?—and then pressed the sleek black square of technology against the side of his face. Yes, I've got good news and bad news. It was not the greatest start to the conversation, but he'd had worse. All right. Good news first, Gabriel decided for him. Are you sitting down? I'm in a taxi, as replied, glancing to his side where the driver was diligently pretending to be paying attention to the road. The man glanced at him and then redirected his attention to the traffic light as if he had no interest in the conversation whatsoever. Although he most certainly did. As was speaking into the phone again, his voice was low but clear enough to make out while they were stopped and the car was idling. Yes, he was saying in reply to a question the driver had not been privy to. Yes, I've heard of him, but I'm not really familiar with. He paused, listening intently, and then his voice jumped up a tone. The what? The light turned green, and the driver regretfully pressed the gas pedal. His regret quickly faded, however, when he realized that something seemed to be spurring the conversation into a volume that could be heard even over the purr of the engine. Wait, and you've already, you've already agreed. Another pause. But that's... Yet another break. It seemed his conversation partner was prone to interrupting mid-word. "'Gabriel, you can't be serious.' "'No, I understand. It's a great opportunity, of course.' The passenger became quiet, sagging back into the seat visibly. "'Yes. Yes, obviously I want that. It's... it's just... for an entire week? "'You know how I am with people. This isn't exactly... uh, no... no, I understand. "'Yes. Yes, of course.' He took a deep breath and reached up to massage his temple, where the streetlights were painting his platinum white curls red and blue. Uh, All right, then. What's the bad news? Even knowing it was impossible, the driver gave his best attempt at driving quieter, willing the engine to dampen. He strained to hear what the other was saying, but instead only got stunned silence. in spite of himself, he stole another glance and watched the soft-looking blue eyes open wider and wider. My what? the choked out. The driver looked back at the road and immediately had to slam the brakes to avoid running into the car in front of him. It must have been bad news, whatever it was, because his passenger didn't even mention the jerky stop. I don't have a... Aziraphale swallowed a lump in his throat. "'I haven't. What? No, I know that, but how am I supposed to—' He reached up and rubbed his face, the tremble of his hand betraying a much stronger emotion. "'Oh, good lord. They did? No, that wasn't—I can't do that!' He listened intently for a few more seconds. "'Gabriel, you can't be serious.' Evidently, Gabriel was serious. A few seconds later, Azirfield's shoulder sagged further down. He muttered a few weak agreements into the phone and then dragged it away from his ear, pressing it to his chest instead. The light ahead of them turned red. The car slowed to an uncharacteristically gentle stop. Bad news? Asked the driver. Azirfield started out of his very polite panic attack and forced himself to remember where he was. He put the phone away and clenched his hands into fists on the top of his knees. Behind his eyes was the start of a headache, and behind that an even bigger dilemma. Shall I go to the liquor store first? Tried the driver again, hopefully. Earfield closed his eyes and breathed out. Actually, I think I need some fresh air. Can you let me out? Here? We're only five minutes away, and it's pouring buckets. I'll walk. I've got an umbrella. But I really must insist, said the author through his teeth. I don't feel well. I might be sick. Wouldn't want it to happen all over your seats. The driver looked at him, mouth parted in a silent question. But some battle of priorities must have won out. Because three seconds later... The car pulled up to the curb, and the passenger stumbled out. It was a dark and stormy night. As Airfield didn't actually have an umbrella. He hadn't planned for it, but he had a hood on his jacket, which he elected to pull up over his ears as a weak attempt to protect himself from the rain. He didn't look at the car, which was still idling at the side of the road, and instead turned on his heel and marched off across the park. Disappearing quickly into the shade of the trees. Half an hour later, he was at his destination, on the top floor of a luxurious apartment complex. He rang the bell once and waited for a beat. It didn't take long for footsteps to sound across wooden floors. A second, and then the heavy metal door opened, and a streak of golden light slashed across his damp, flushed face. You're late. Heaving a tired sigh, Azirphail held up an incriminatingly shaped paper bag. "'I went to the off-license,' he said by way of an explanation. The door opened wider, and the flat's owner stepped inside. Azirphail immediately shouldered his way in, already halfway through shrugging off his jacket. "'I have wine, you know.' "'Gonna need something stronger tonight, I think,' replied the author, handing over the bottle." His coat went on the hook beside the familiar black jacket, and his shoes joined the rest at the entrance. They looked wildly out of place, a soft caramel beige next to a pileup of black shoes, the steel-toed and high-heeled variety alike. You're soaked. I didn't actually bring an umbrella, he admitted. Wow, really? I never would have guessed. The sardonic pitch of the voice did nothing to help matters. "'but Azirfield felt it was well-deserved after how he'd acted. "'It sure would have been nice if there was someone to, I don't know, "'give you a lift in a car? "'Specifically to this exact location where you were going to wind up anyway?' "'Footsteps padded along after him as he headed to the kitchen "'past the drab, angular interior decorations and lack thereof. "'Too bad no one offered.' Except... wait. I'm sorry. I panicked. Admitted ear fail opening the kitchen cabinets and reaching for the tumblers without even looking. I needed some time to think. What happened? He made to turn around, but then stopped himself. Set the glasses down and reached for the bottle of cognac. Drinks first. Then work. Then uncapped the bottle and bravely resisted, taking a swig directly from the mouth. No, things were not so bad quite yet. I'm afraid I'm going to have a favor to ask of you, Antony. You know how terrifying it is when you use my first name, said Antony, leaning one hand against the edge of the counter, observing him with what was probably a look of considerable concern. I'm downright spooked right now. Azirfield sighed and finally looked up. Anthony. Not just any Anthony. The one and only, Anthony J. Crowley. It had been easier to ignore the details of what Azirfield had spent so long diligently forgetting about between their rare meetups when he didn't look directly at the other. When he could glimpse it from the dim lights of whatever tiny family-owned restaurant they'd stuffed themselves into the back of, when he could just barely make out the lines of Crowley's face from the light on stage while the orchestra was playing at whatever concert they'd snuck away to. It had been easier to ignore it when they were in the car, bundled up against the December winds, when it was dark enough to not see the way the glow of the traffic light traced the other's jawline. It was easier when he couldn't make out the cheekbones and dark red hair that would usually fall to the shoulders in gentle, trying-to-be curls, At the moment, it was pulled up into a top knot, exposing the curve of his neck, showing off quite a lot of skin, which pooled neatly into the dip of the dark v-neck he was wearing. Uninvited, the voice of the young woman he'd met at his signing a week ago drifted back to him. You look like nothing I imagined. He was, he had been nothing like Aziraphale had imagined. His imagination had never done the real thing justice. But it was too late to lament it now. He had quite a few years under his belt to come to terms with what Anthony J. Crowley looked like and the unfairness of life, and the way luck had played them all. Here he was, a chunky author of Christian self-help books, and here was Crowley, A Temptation in a Soft Sweater. With expressive hazel bordering on golden eyes and two tight trousers. An actualization of the very genre he had become famous in the romantic fantasy on legs, and what legs they were. But no, none of that was new. Back to the present. So, am I gonna have to play 20 questions? asked Crowley holding out his hand for the glass, which Azirfield slotted into his slim fingers, as if he hadn't been thoroughly distracted. He didn't neglect to notice the black varnish chipping off of his nails. Crowley was prone to chewing them when he was nervous. Was it a sign that Azirfield's prior escapade had affected him more than he let on? It was best not to dwell on that idea. Let's get through this work stuff quick. I'm dying to find out what's got you fighting to escape my car after a single phone call. I never got that kind of reaction before, even with all the speed limits I break. I'm a little offended. Am I losing my touch? Give me a minute, will you? Azirphail said. He took a disproportionately large gulp of the cognac and regretted it, but only a little. Work first. The ending chapters for the Rebirth in Europe manuscript uh, have you made any headway? Crowley scrunched up his face and leaned back against the counter opposite of Aziraphale. You could say that. It's probably not what you're looking for. I'm taking it in a bit of a gothic direction. Do you mean that in a literary or an aesthetic sense? Asked Aziraphale with a frown because you know I don't mind your architectural spiels, but after the thing you wrote about the vampires, I'd rather not. He took another sip, a smaller one this time. Gabriel thought I'd lost it. It took me a whole month before he stopped asking me if i joined a cult. No vampires, promised Crowley. I just got a bit inspired ever since I went to Prague two months ago. Cathedrals and old city streets, your readers will love it. "'especially the Americans. "'They love that old European shit more than anything. "'Oh, good.' "'Breathed his ear "'He watched the other man drink a bit more, "'and then tried to get his ancient reptile brain "'to move the conversation along "'instead of focusing on the way the other's tongue "'traced the rim of the glass. "'Me too. "'I mean, your middle chapters are nearly complete.' I've just got to go back through and check a few things for historical accuracy. haven't really done any research about the Siberian wilderness before. Are you trying to justify using ginger in 18th century Russia? Asked Crowley and grinned when Azirfield gave him a half-hearted glare. I thought it was pretty funny the first time. It's not a joke. The last thing we need is to have your readers imitating extremely uninformed literary choices. He chided. You do know that they actually try this out on themselves. Read it once and get inspired. Survival the fittest, I always say, replied Crowley. Darwin Awards were invented for a reason. Besides, he added, we put a disclaimer in the front now. Do not try this at home. Beers made me do it. Good on them, really, muttered his ear fail. But... While we're on the topic, I also wanted to ask about the sequel. Are you really planning to... Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Crowley grinned. The return of the creature from the pond. He opened his hand and gestured to the sitting room where a familiar sofa and chair were waiting, draped with a knitted white blanket which softened the edges of the modern furniture. Step into my office and let me tell you about how I'm planning to make my way back into the incredible niche I like to call monster-fucking. "'You're a nightmare,' groaned his ear, but a smile was already fighting its way to his face. Pouring himself a bit more spirit, he tipped away from the supportive edge of the counter and ambled along after the other to the old, inviting dip of the sofa. They had their habits. This was one of them. Drinks were always involved. Other details had also manifested themselves into something resembling a ritual over the years.' The tendency to mate at night, for example, especially in bad weather, which London supplied plenty of. The tendency to go to dinner in tiny little cafes and sit at the farthest table, cloaked in darkness, and discuss plots, divide up which chapters to write, and who would need to fill specific expectations. Azirvale specifically had a penchant for sex scenes. It wasn't something he boasted, on the contrary. If his typical readership got word of the sort of paragraphs he could put out on a particularly inspired night, they might suffer some form of heart attack typical for their age. Oh, he was good at other things, of course. Inspiring quotes, spiritual drabble. That was what had boosted him into the spotlight after all. But it was one thing to enjoy a career in writing, and another completely. To be pigeonholed into a specific genre so much so that you were almost forbidden from writing anything else. Crowley, meanwhile, despite being rather adept at literary debauchery, had grown tired of his fame for it over the years. These days, he was far more interested in the arts and philosophical prose, but it was not his theme, nor something his audience was looking to read. It was, however, something he was praised highly for, by his Bale's audience. All of this, of course, under each other's names. That was the rule. They wrote together and published separately. Untangled signatures from between the lines, ironed out the strings of their own personal flair, and passed them off to their editors as a single-sourced work. It was clean. It was simple. They both got done what needed to be done, and all niches were neatly full of thriving inspiration. I'm working on another idea said Crowley nearly three hours later. It was, to be precise, three hours and many, many glasses of alcohol later. They had loosened up considerably. Azirfail had undone his tie and put his feet up on the table, his tartan pattern socks just a few inches away from Crowley's red ones. The romantic fiction author was attempting to put the chair he was perched on out of a job, through sheer ridicule of the concept of humanly possible sitting positions. It was endearing in the way only Crowley could make it be. You're gonna love it, he hiccuped a bit and tried to undo the knot in his spine, but then gave up and collapsed back into a mess of limbs. Are you ready? I'm never ready, giggled ear pail from the sofa. He shifted the glass in his hand over to the table. Go on, then. A compilation of historical LGBT figures in art and pornographic fictional tidbits based on their life and available biographical details. I'll call it Gay History The Fucking Arts. Crowley reached up and unfurled an invisible rainbow over his head with both hands, staring dazedly up at the ceiling. That's. Azir felt himself chortling in spite of it. That's terrible. "'Why?' asked Crowley immediately, apparently offended. "'What have you got against it?' "'It's a terrible name.' "'It's not. You got something better?' "'At the very least,' argued Azir failed drunkenly. "'It should be a pun of some sort. "'History. The olden gaze.' "'I may be biased, but Tchaikovsky was gay,' countered Crowley, much to the approving grumbling of the other. "'just to queer things up. "'Let me be absolutely queer about this. "'All your favorite historical figures are gay. "'Too long,' muttered Aziraphale. "'Not something the target audience will ever complain about,' "'the man replied immediately. "'There was a pause, "'and then they both dissolved into cackling laughter, "'clutching at the furniture for support "'as the room swayed tipsily. "'There was something about these moments.' which his was very careful not to keep track of, to think too hard on, that unwound him in some primal way. It sunk into his chest like hot cocoa did, warmed him to the tips of his fingers, and made it very difficult to find his way back to reality. These soft spots of letting go that didn't seem to happen anywhere else in his life Something about them made him feel like he was on the precipice of something great. Something good. Something that was too good to be true. Which was why he immediately had to ruin it. Or that was the presumed reason. Because they always did ruin these tiny pockets of bliss without fail. He did so now by opening his big damn mouth and suddenly saying, I need you to pretend to be my husband for a week. An awkward silence immediately blanketed the room. Crowley's grin was slow to die, but it was somehow more painful that way. He kept smiling for a second, then two seconds, before the corners of his mouth twitched and several conflicting emotions scratched his expression and were wiped off again in quick succession. Confusion, perhaps anger, then hurt, then more confusion. Ah. He said. As Earfield groaned into his hands, which were by now hiding his face in shame, and struggled into a more upright sitting position, getting his feet back on the ground and trying to keep them flat on the floorboards, which were swaying like a ship at sea. Oh, good Lord! This was not. This was not how I intended it to go. I forgot to tell you. Crowley had not yet attempted to write himself into a more vertical shape. Forgot to tell me what? He choked out. The favor, as the sighed, rubbed his eyeballs back into his skull, and then breathed out and started again. The phone call I got in the car from Gabriel. It was for a book deal an American ambassador, diplomat, something or like other. Wants to hire me to do a, a PR run. Heard about the success of the novel I did about traveling to Japan. Wants me to do something similar for the States. He's offered to fund me for a full year, free ride everything. and all-expenses-paid tour across the continental U.S. Crowley still hadn't moved. Uh, that sounds good, he said, though there was a reserve tone to it. Yes, well as the airfield rubbed the edge of his brow, looking anywhere but the other. First he wants to meet with me, see if I'm trustworthy, I suppose. Discuss plans, have me stay with his family over the holidays in some cabin they own up in New Hampshire, somewhere up north. Oh Crowley's voice was still tense. And the fake husband thing is because Here Azirfield lost some of his hard-earned control again and began to knead his hands worriedly. He'd hoped the alcohol would help, but instead it was only making him nauseous, not courageous. This, this ambassador, he's a bit, you know, on the conservative side. All about family values and all that. So he's an uptight homophobic arse, supplied Crowley. So what? Big deal. Hire an actress, bam, you have a wife. He struggled upright, untangling his mile-long legs from the arm of the chair. It may have been Aziraphale's imagination, but he was also determinedly looking away, but at the only other human in the room. What in the hell's name do you need me for? A husband would just make it worse. They already know I'm gay. Crowley looked up. Despite how annoyed he'd been a second ago, the look on Aziraphale's face seemed to soften him considerably. was quiet. There was only the creak of gnashing teeth as Azirfield tightened his jaw. Gabriel said he saw. There were apparently some photos they'd been made aware of. Crowley swallowed audibly. Photos, he echoed. Photos of me. Crowley was unnaturally still. With a man? With you. Crowley. It would have been comical if it wasn't so terrifying. Opposite him, Crowley appeared to be speed running all the stages of grief. He screeched to a halt somewhere around denial and was having trouble starting up again. Some amount of syllables seemed to give a feeble attempt at evolving into full words, but immediately suffered a mass extinction event and tumbled out as a series of prehistoric sounds. The. <laughs> No, there's no, we haven't been. What photos? He demanded finally. As Earfield closed his eyes, took a deep breath, and leaned back, surrendering into the sofa. The one from six years ago, at the garden. Crowley blinked. The gears were turning. There they went, finally moving past denial into depression, and then anger, and then acceptance. Thankfully, they had not taken a pit stop at bargaining. It was a relief to know the other at least remembered enough of that evening to not try and deny that it happened. Oh, fuck. He said, dropping his head into his hands. The garden. The one the fangirls took. Yes. Azirfield confirmed. The conversation returned to soundlessness again as each participant got their fill of their nervous tics. Aziraphale was spinning the ring on his pinky finger. Crowley had shoved his hands to his mouth and attempting to chew through his nails down to the bone. Usually, that would have been grounds for at least a gentle reprimand. He had never bothered to invest in non-toxic varnish, and it couldn't be good for the health. But Aziraphale was a bit preoccupied at the moment. At least for a while. Then the old habits won out. They said, to Gabriel that is, that they wanted to meet me and my partner. He lifted his eyes to Crowley and was satisfied to find out that he had successfully diverted the attention away from making a meal of the chipping black paint. Presumably this is some sort of test. They're fine with the fact that I'm gay, but they want to know if I'm, you know, the palatable type of gay. Crowley's eyebrows jumped at him quietly, asking an unspoken question. As the airfield took a weary breath, a type that is monogamous instead of, well, that other kind. Instead of, well, the kind that... the kind that cruises, finished cruelly. His shoulders were losing some of their tension, and his eyebrows were floating back down. They want to know if you're out here having promiscuous gay sex every day of the week with the first guy you find at a bar or if you're a neo-Christian-approved gay with family values that they can use to promote themselves as being accepting. He groaned as the final touches of comprehension sank in. And the best litmus test for that is to dare you to show up with the same man you were in a photo with six years ago. Precisely. as the airfield replied through his teeth and reached for his drink again. It was woefully empty, but he tipped it back, tonguing the last few drops off the rim for appearance's sake. Gabriel basically said, "'Don't care what you have to do. Find him or a look-alike. Pay him to go with you. Make this work.'" "'Bloody good luck I'm right here, then, isn't it?' Zierfiel's eyes bounced back up to him in shock. He had been the one to start it, sure, but a quick agreement was the furthest thing from what he'd expected." Uh, pardon? You don't have to look for a look-alike if you have the real thing available. No, Crowley, hold on. I think I spoke too soon. The issue was that he'd spoken at all. I don't want to drag you into this. I can just figure it out myself, or, or just tell Gabriel it's impossible. Why? Crowley leaned forward in his chair, the sharp intensity replacing any previous signs of doubt. Aziraphale, this is a huge deal. If you get this, you get to tour around the colonies and have yourself a nice old time for a whole year. Imagine how many doors this would open for you. It's lying, Crowley. And you've never done that before, have you? It's not the same. Lying by omission isn't the same thing. Aziraphale cried and pushed himself to his feet, almost toppling over in the process. He'd momentarily forgotten he was drunk, but his legs hadn't. Besides, what if they find out who you are? I have no idea how they didn't recognize you. Because I keep my face more well hidden. Beez isn't out there slapping my mug on every paperback like Gabriel. That's now. What about six years ago? Zierfield demanded, grappling with the sofa spine to keep his balance as he toddled around the living room angrily. That night in the garden you were fine with showing your face to all your adoring fans." "Precisely," snapped Crowley, jumping up as well, and promptly tipping forward like a felled tree, crashing into the coffee table in front of him. A momentary squabble ensued, during which his earfield lurched forward to grab the other's elbow automatically, and they both ended up struggling to remain upright. Azirphil eventually realized he'd been clutching Crowley's sleeve as the other straightened up and promptly let go and willed himself to take an unnaturally coordinated step back to widen the distance between them to a more formal one. Azirphil, Crowley began, this time much more softly. I owe you. This is my fault, all right? It didn't make much sense, and Azirphil told him so in no uncertain terms. Six years ago, at the garden, You were there because of me. There was regret in his voice, but stubbornness, too. If you'd never gone. I agreed to go. I agreed to the photo. We both agreed to the photo, idiots that we were, but we didn't know, all right. The man was running his fingers through his hair, pulling out the knot and redoing it again. He fought with the tie for a few seconds before giving up and letting the hair fall loose and artistic waves around his face. Xerfil forced himself to look away. I could kiss you, he thought. And that was a terrifying thing, he could. He could pull out the favor Crowley owed him, he could pull out dozens. They'd covered for each other over hundreds of times over the years. Even without the garden incident, there would always be something he could leverage in his favor. He could find a way to make Crowley his for a week, live in the same quarters, play the part. They would probably have to kiss for that, at least a little. It would be justified if they were pretending to be married. Crowley was ready to agree. I could kiss you, he thought again but I shouldn't. Closed his eyes and swallowed down the possibility, burying it deep below the place where his heart was, passing it through his system like all the other cravings he had, turning it into waste and getting rid of it again and again and again, ignoring the fact that the hunger always came back on the daily. Besides, said Crowley, interrupting his gastrointestinal metaphor, where else he you going to find someone that looks this good? Zierfiel ripped his gaze up from the floor and glued it to the man in front of him again. Arms spread wide demonstratively, a fake grin plastered on his face to hide the nervousness he felt. It was his eyes that betrayed him. Crowley's preening was far more convincing when one couldn't see the anxiety that was usually so well hidden behind a pair of sunglasses. I mean... The man said, sagging a bit and retreating into himself under his ear, intense gaze, which was far more appreciative than it was judgmental, though perhaps Crowley was not able to pick up on the fact through the mist of their combined panic. I know I looked better six years ago, but I think I'm still recognizable an off brand version. You haven't aged a day, you sly devil. The replied, and perhaps he said it a bit too softly for it to be platonic, because Crowley went red about the ears and immediately cleared his throat and began to wobble his way back to the kitchen as a drunken form of defense. "'Right, then. It's decided, is it?' he called over his shoulder. "'We'll go off, have ourselves a little holiday in America. Fool some straight people into thinking we're a lovely, normal, respectable couple of queers— in a long-term, exclusive, monogamous relationship, and everything will be fine. You'll get your book deal, and I'll get some free meals. It can't. Crowley's voice seemed to crack. Perhaps he'd stumbled over something in his search through the cabinets for more drink. It can't hurt to try, can it? Zierfail opened his mouth to answer, and found quite suddenly that he couldn't think of a single thing to say. It was also difficult to speak around the lump in his throat, thudding loudly and painfully as if his own heart had decided to claw its way up his trachea. But that was what he was used to, wasn't it? Perpetual wanting. Perpetual withholding. Perpetual suffering. He'd made money on it, bound it up, sewed together pages with prose, and sold it to others. I suppose... He said weakly and closed his eyes. "It would most definitely hurt." Chapter 2: Ten years ago. March 12, 2004, five p.m. User: eight deadly sins, replied to your comment. Yeah, thanks for the review, but, uh, T-L-D-R. You know what that means. Too long didn't read. If you want to dissect this like it's a bloody literary thesis on how to fuck in the late 16th century, be my guest. But I'm not combing through paragraphs on why olive oil doesn't work as lube. It's fucking Shakespeare fanfiction. We're all just out here having fun. Don't take it so seriously. It's not real. March 13th, 2004. 10:38 AM User: Emails from Angels replied to your comment. I'm not sure where you get these ideas that fan fiction isn't real writing, but I can assure you any writing you put out into the world is absolutely real and should be treated as such. When you publish these things online, you give access to thousands who are your potential audience. Don't you understand the impact you have in suggesting such an unhealthy practice as putting food items inside your body? It can result in hard bacterial infections March fourteenth two thousand four three twenty one a m user eight deadly sins replied to your comment It's not my responsibility to protect the idiots who can't even do a google search prior to sticking a banana up their arse. That's just natural selection at work. If you don't like it, just write your own stuff, Professor. Things that go into buttholes. I don't have time to research historical lubricants. I have a life. March fourteenth, two thousand four, seven forty-five a.m. User emails from angels replied to your comment. I have no issue with my own depictions. It's yours that are suffering. If you're pressed for time then i highly recommend you look for a reliable proofreader to look through your writing it might help you avoid these pitfalls and i'm sure one of your many fans can help you out March 16th 2004 9:20 a.m. user emails from angels replied to your comment that isn't to say that the majority of your writing is similarly affected, in fact, I have greatly enjoyed the stories you've put out so far, and the detail you manage to weave so expertly into the other relevant descriptions. I've been reading your other works for a long time and have never taken issue with the narration or the style of it. It's perhaps because I've been a fan for so long that I insist so strongly on an accurate depiction." and demand a similar quality from the sexual details as well. If I didn't care at all, I would simply leave it at that. 17th of March, 2004, 8.57am User, Emails from Angels, replied to your comment. I do hope I haven't put you off it very much. I understand my wording was strong. I wanted to apologize if my previous emails caused you any distress. March 18th, 2004, 11.31pm User, 8 deadly sins replied to your comment. Whatever, mate. If you think you can do better, prove it. 19th of March, 2004, 6.15am User, Emails from Angels Replied to your comment Certainly, you're welcome to read any of my own works. I'm also open to collaborations. Nineteenth of March two thousand four, one twenty two PM User eight Deadly Sins replied to your comment. Ha, huh, right, sure. Nineteenth of March two thousand and four. 9:51 p.m. user 8 deadly sins commented on in the bastille okay this is really good actually fucking dramatic but hot as well 19th of march 2004 9:51 p.m. user 8 deadly sins commented on when in rome Holy fucking shit. 20th of March, 2004, 3:30 am User: eight deadly sins sent you a message. Okay, OK, 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 hold on. I've been reading your fix for a solid seven hours now, and I'm absolutely certain I recognize your style. There used to be a blog that put out 100k on the monthly that I was legendary for biblical erotica. Something, something flaming sword? It had a ridiculous amount of subscribers. And then the website disappeared. You're not ripping off that guy, are you? 20th of March, 2004. 8.20am. User, Emails from Angels, replied. Oh, yes, that was me. I gave away the domain twentieth of march two thousand four eight twenty four a m user eight deadly sins replied you what twentieth of march two thousand four eight forty seven a m user emails from angels replied it's silly, really. A startup company by this lovely young couple approached me. They wanted to use it as their business name, but you see, all the search results returned my works, and they're rather, well, rather unprofessional, as you understand. They were really very kind, and the account was old and rather needed a cleanup anyway, so I just said, oh yes, I'll remove it. I archived the better part of it on my own personal hard drive, but it's gone now. They needed it more than I do twentieth of march two thousand four eight fifty one AM User eight Deadly Sins replied dot 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 twentieth of march 2004, 10.38 AM User eight Deadly Sins replied So about that collab. Three years later eight Deadly Sins at gmail.com sent at six oh six AM thirteenth of november two thousand seven. SOS eight Deadly Sins at gmail.com sent at seven thirty eight AM thirteenth of november two thousand seven. Bloody hell, I'm dying a zero-fail answer your phone. I know you're not sleeping. I know you wake up at six. Eight Deadly Sins at gmail.com Sent at 7.45 a.m. 13th of November, 2007 Okay, fine. Make me type it out instead. Here's the deal. I got offered to do a meetup at a bar. There might be editors there, reps from publishing companies. Tons of my followers will be there. We're talking literally like a hundred plus people. I get to do an AMA they organize. They want to know the details from fucking Noah's Ark. I cannot do this without you. That fic is 2,000k. You wrote 50k of that. They're going to want to know details. You need to come with me. I cannot do this alone. Please respond. 8 Deadly sins at gmail.com Sent at 11.02 a.m., 13th of November, 2007. Azirville, please, 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 please. I'll pay for your drinks, your dinner, your taxi. I'll pick you up and drive you myself. I'll never ask you for anything ever again. I swear to Satan. fell at hotmail.net. Sent at one forty-five p.m. 13th November 2007. Crowley, I would like to remind you that I mentioned working late nights at the shop for reshelving nearly a week ago when we last talked. I was up late last night and forgot to turn my phone back on. The fact that it has completely flown from your mind serves as evidence that you are not thinking clearly. You have my sympathies for your predicament but aren't you the one who was specifically against showing your face to your readers? I've never even met you in person, despite the fact that we live in the same city. Are you really sure this is a good idea? Sincerely, AZ Fell 8 Deadly Sins at com, Sent at one forty-nine pm 13th of November, 2007 I know, but I lost my other part-time job for this shit, and if I have a chance of making it big, this is it. Please, I know it's a nuisance, but this is important to me. I'll owe you. You can hold this over my head for anything. I'll write whatever you need. I'll never speak ill of Wilde again. I'll finish the Regency story for you. I know you're stuck on it. I can rewrite it. I'll do it. Swear to Satan, God, whoever a z fell at hotmail dot net sent at one fifty five p m thirteenth of november two thousand seven Crowley. fine, but I'm warning you it's a mess. The entire first three chapters need to be redone, and the middle ones are mostly dialogue sincerely a z fell eight deadly sins at gmail dot sent at one fifty seven p m thirteenth of november two thousand seven you'll do it a z fell at hotmail dot net sent at two p m thirteenth of november two thousand seven yes all right eight deadly sins at gmail dot com sent at two 13 p.m., 13th of November, 2007. I owe you my life. Okay, I'm going to pick you up. Tell me where you want to meet. Uh, the event is on the 14th at 7 p.m. I'll send you a picture of myself in a second so you know who to look for. AZ fell at hotmail.net. Sent at 2:32 p.m., 13th of November, two thousand seven You can get me from my bookshop in Soho. I've attached a map to the email. Just to clarify though, the fourteenth of what? December January? Attachment Soho Map dot JPEG eight Deadly Sins at gmail dot com sent at three oh four PM thirteenth of november two thousand seven. 14th of November. Oh, shit, that's tomorrow, isn't it? AZ fell at hotmail.net. Sent at 3.09pm, 13th of November, 2007. Crowley, you cannot be serious. Sincerely, Aziraphale. 8 Deadly Sins at com, Sent at 3.15pm, 13th of November, 2007. as you feel, I'll swear I'll do anything. This is my chance of a lifetime, just for one night. You finish work at 5, right? I'll come to you, just be ready at 6.30. Thanks for the map. Shit, I can't believe we've never run into each other. I'm in Soho all the time. Here's a photo of me. It's from last year, since I couldn't find a more recent one. My hair's short, though recently had a cut. I'll wear a black blazer and sunglasses, because you know how my icon was just my eyes for a while. They're kind of recognizable, so I might want to cover them up just in case. Attachment. 2006 is real. Trip underscore image zero, zero, 00294. 8 Deadly Sins at gmail.com. Sent at three forty p.m. 13th November Two thousand seven hello, you are still up for it, right? Eight deadly sins at gmail dot com sent at four fifty five p m thirteenth of november two thousand seven fail I'm begging you, I know it's short notice. I'm sorry. work with me here. eight deadly sins at gmail dot com sent at 6.26 p.m., 13th of November, 2007. I'll literally do anything. I'm building a shrine to Oscar Wilde in my living room as we speak. 8 Deadly Sins at gmail.com. Sent at 8.39 p.m., 13th of November, 2007. Oh, was it the photo? Was the photo weird? I swear, I'm not a creep or a stalker. My friend just took that while we were out about in the city and thought it was artistic or something. I just don't have any other ones. I usually don't photograph well. AZ fell at hotmail.net Sent at 2.30 a.m. 13th of November, 2007 My apologies for not responding more promptly. I got caught up in something. The photo is fine. I'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow. It had been a mistake. as Hill had known it from the moment Crowley stepped out from the car, parked precariously with one wheel on the curb, swayed on his impossibly long legs, spun around as if to show off his ink-black jeans clinging to his thighs for dear life. His jacket snapped over his sharp-cast shoulders. Hair, a fiery red, swept up in an artistically wild mess. The jaw. Oh, good lord, that jaw. No, Aziraphale had known better before that. He had known it was a mistake earlier, a day before to be precise, when he first looked at the photo on his screen. Taking in the profile, the moody brow, the strong nose... The cigarette tilted from the lips. Everything was already doomed from the start, but what had really did it was the copper hair, tangling with the light of the sunset shimmering from behind the man, casting everything into a handsome shadow as it set behind the Jerusalem skyline. It had taken him hours to shake off the initial shock. He stood up, walked to the kitchen upstairs, washed his face, sat down in his chair to think, then stood up again, paced the shop, and rearranged some books. Several times he almost sat down to answer the email, but his hand staged a protest, refusing to work any sort of buttons, aside from the ones that shut his trousers. Even after succumbing to that route, further attempts at writing as a tool of communication proved embarrassingly unhelpful. I'm sorry, He typed out at one point, "'I don't think I can deal with this. "'Emotionally, mentally, sexually. "'That wouldn't do. "'He backspaced furiously, stood up again, and went to get some scotch. "'I'm afraid I can't,' he wrote. "'We had a deal, to be honest, with each other for the sake of transparency, "'for the sake of this partnership. "'You lied to me. "'You never told me you were gorgeous. "'This changes things.' He couldn't quite say that. Erasing the entire thing again, he abandoned the scotch to wander around upstairs and shuffle through his suits, his sweaters, his bow ties, before returning once more to the email. You know what? Something came up. Don't think I can make it. I'll be busy masturbating furiously to the image of the sunset kissing your throat, wishing it was me. Pretending I'm the light painting gold into the coils of your hair coming to the idea of being the cigarette you close your mouth around. Alright, so it was dramatic. On his own defense, so was his ear fail. He had no qualms about it. He knew what he was. He was a dramatic, frumpy, bookish gay man in his early forties who dressed like a museum relic, wrote historical fiction in his free time, and dabbled in adult fiction as a hidden side hobby. He knew he and Crowley were around the same age. They discussed as much. And they discussed their interests and their pasts and their shared history when it came to struggling against a viciously religious upbringing, which was a somewhat polarizing argument that still managed to unite them in an odd agree to disagree sort of way. And he had, foolishly, presumed that Crowley would be much like him when it came to the rest of it. He'd expected to meet another socially inept, middle aged mess. An endearingly ridiculous 40-something that he'd grown quite fond of over their past three years of online friendship. He had pictured someone short, maybe with glasses, maybe with a five o'clock shadow. A poor taste in clothing he could tisk at. Instead, Crowley was this. Something too good to be real. Too good to be true. Somewhere between Crowley's fourth email and Azirfield's fourth glass of scotch, he had managed to talk himself into exactly that sort of conviction. It was too good to be true. Photoshop existed, and the limitations of its abilities were just mysterious enough for Azirfield to work with his theories. He was sure Crowley wouldn't send a stranger's photo in his stead, but surely, surely the date on the image was edited. Surely that wasn't only a year ago. It was probably from his youth. He had just been too embarrassed to send a more recent, truthful depiction. Zierfail would forgive him that. That was what had granted him the ability to sleep through the night. That, and not an insignificant amount of alcohol. And be able to walk out of the bookshop the next day to the vintage car pulling up to meet him. Pretending everything would be fine. And then Crowley had stepped out. And his long, supermodel legs immediately kicked any hope he had right back down again. ear fail? It was the same voice that had accosted him over the phone thousands of times. Warm, familiar, just a bit scratchy from the occasional indulgence in tobacco products. Hearing it now, coming from the impossible lips of the impossible figure in front of him was like a fever dream. You're even more posh than I imagine. Bloody hell. Bloody hell. Echoed his ear, feel weakly, praying he would drown in his clothes, disappear into his scarf and dip below the collar of his jacket and melt to join the rest of the muck pooling along the street-side curb. Crowley, you look uh, even more like the photo. What's that? Asked Crowley and sauntered closer. failed wished desperately to flinch back, but instead the movement of the man's hips seemed to be hypnotically pulling him in. He tried to ascribe it to the concern of how many vertebrae a man was allowed to have before it became a health hazard to others around him, but failed spectacularly. You ready to go then? Or should we shake hands first? Seeing as it's the first time we've actually met. I don't know how you do this. He appraised Earfield's flushed face and quickly reconsidered. Not that we have to, just figured. Oh, yes, of course. Struggling to snap himself out of the daze, Azirphiel thrust his hand forward. It's a pleasure to finally meet you. Crowley's anxious half-smile twitched into a fuller, more genuine one, and pleasure was exactly what Azirphiel experienced in a thunderstrike straight down into the core of him. Likewise, he replied, and wound their fingers into a sturdy grip. If his had the ability to stop time, he would have. There was something surreal about standing on the corner of his street near his bookshop, linking hands with Crowley, that he wanted to commit to memory properly. He knew he would not likely have this chance again. Why would he? This was only a matter of time before the other pulled away. In fact... All of this was only for a night, after all, and beyond the one-off chance of needing to meet in person, something similar would not occur again. Suddenly, the veil of anonymity they'd had online seemed like a life raft. he had never noticed how good he had it when they'd both been blissfully unaware of each other. Presently, however, he had fallen overboard and was struggling in the ocean, and there was no going back. The raft was lost. He was lost. Couldn't take back the fact that Crowley knew what he looked like. He couldn't undrown. All that was left for him as an option was treading water as long as he could. So he got into the car, smiled courteously, forced himself to talk. He even managed to fall back into old habits and scolded Crowley for driving too fast. The conversation was blissfully easy after that no awkward silences to allow him to fall back into overthinking. He did know Crowley well after all. Their three-year-long friendship had been punctuated with thousands of late-night calls, debates, and jokes. As if they'd known each other for centuries, they nosedived into their typical banter, picking right back up from their email, then smoothly sailing into their previous phone quibble about Victorian-era dress codes and then on to talks of museums they'd both been to recently. The London lights that snuck in through the window of the car and sometimes illuminated Crowley's figure helped his ear spy more details. Under the guise of complaining about the number on the speedometer, he carefully watched the other's elegant hands grip the wheel, observed the way his hair coiled just a touch under the weight of gel. Upon closer inspection, Crowley did not look as young as the photo made it seem, but this discovery did not bring any relief. Instead, it made his realize with a startled urgency that the soft lines on the man's face and the darkened bits of stubble under his ear only made him more handsome. By the time they parked at the garden, Azirfield could have sworn hours had passed. Crowley got out and after waiting a beat, walked around to the other side and opened the door for him. Thank you, Aziraphale said, hoping he didn't look as flustered as he felt. Uh, "'But I'm already here. No need to butter me up anymore. I can't exactly escape now.' "'You could still make a run for it,' Crowley joked. "'Change your mind and leave me to the wolves.' "'Me? Make a run for it?' Aziraphale asked incredulously, stepping out of the car and grabbing the top of it to steady himself. "'Are you mad?' especially after that roller coaster you subjected me to. I can't feel my legs well enough to walk, let alone run. That might have been the plan all along, said Crowley with a grin and jutted out his elbow. Need help getting to the door? Dropping his eyes to the offered support, his ear airfield flushed again but fought back the instinct to refuse. Only one chance, he thought to himself. Take it or leave it. He took it. Visibly pleased, Crowley guided them around the lit upstairs, stairs, cordially ignoring the fact that Aziraphale was leaning into him, far more than was absolutely necessary. He even opened the door, letting the other go inside first with a needless flourish of the hand. "'You've been reading those gentleman code blogs again, I take it,' the author said as they entered. "'I'm telling you, they're rubbish.' "'Actually, the last thing I read was your Pride and Prejudice fanfiction,' Crowley admitted in a low voice. "'He glanced at Aziraphale out of the corner of his eye, only the parts with the debauchery in it, of course. "'The entire work is debauchery,' Aziraphale replied with a soft frown, mentally shuffling through his memory of the chapters.' It had been a gift to one of his more loyal fans, who had very specific tastes involving a fair amount of BDSM. I didn't think it was your sh- But before he could continue his interrogation of his friend's questionable consumption of fan works, they had arrived at the bar and were immediately recognized and accosted by several of the organizers. It was difficult to keep up any sort of conversation after that. Because despite his earlier instance on being there, Crowley was clearly physically uncomfortable with the attention he was getting, and attention was certainly got, unsurprisingly. A hundred percent of the people at the bar had functioning eyes, and those that were already interested quickly factored his looks into it. The object of their affection, meanwhile, avoided their approaches like they were bullets, deflecting every compliment with a joke and hovering in Aziraphale's periphery instead, as if he hoped to use the other like a human meat shield. Aziraphale himself, who had briefly wondered if it would be difficult for Crowley to convince them to do the AMA with him, a nobody, quickly calmed down once he saw that nothing short of a crowbar would be able to pry the nervous fan favorite off of himself. Crowley's adoring fans quickly seemed to come to the same conclusion, because by the time they shoved a mic into his hands, they'd also handed his earpail a bottle of water, as if they'd accepted him as a sort of buy-one-get-one-free bargain. At 8pm, Crowley was gently bullied onto a stool on the small stage opposite of the bar, and penned under a ridiculous amount of stage lights. Somewhere between his car and the event, he had procured a pair of sunglasses and had dutifully donned them. It made him look even more like a movie star, and also helped at hiding the relatively clear panicked sheen to his eyes. His Fale, who had been allowed to sit on the side to serve as moral support, as he called it, was close enough to lean in and chime in with the reminders when Crowley drew a blank. It ended up working out much better than he expected. Most of the stage side questions were not his Earfield specialty, anyway, and Crowley eventually got into the rhythm of discussing the plot points he'd personally woven together. Afterwards, they were shuffled off the stage and seated at the bar and given several drinks on the house, and were once again crowded by more fans to answer more adult themed inquiries. For this part, Aziraphale was close enough to intervene naturally. Every time Crowley froze up when hearing about a chapter he hadn't written, Aziraphale would take a sip from his drink, frown thoughtfully, and say something like, Oh, that was the one about them getting together in the hidden room behind the... And Crowley would usually pick it back up and play along. It worked. Magically. Mysteriously. Miraculously. It worked, and Azir failed despite having started the evening hoping to milk his luck for all it was worth, instead found genuine laughter bubbling up in his throat as Crowley made another pun on foot fetishes. Really makes running this business a breeze. It was going so much better than he'd anticipated, that he had no idea what to do with all the positive emotion he had not made room for. He was giddy. He was tipsy and he was sitting at the side of the handsomest man in the room, commanding his attention at least 30% of the time. Never in his life had he thought he would get to have this. Whether it was alcohol or the endorphins, he had no idea. But after talking up a storm with several avid readers, he even agreed to a few photos, with the girls taking turns squishing themselves between himself and Crowley, and striking fancy poses. "'Don't go posting that online now,' Crowley warned lightheartedly, "'and the girl with the camera promised that she'd only meant to send it to their other friends "'to prove it had actually happened.' fell, his brain out to lunch with the realization that Crowley was leaning against his arm, "'didn't even think about repercussions, "'and instead offered a gleeful little wave goodbye to the gaggle of women, "'idly thinking about how kind they'd been to include him.' despite the fact that they had no idea who he was and why he was in attendance. That specific mystery resolved itself faster than he expected. A minute after another fan snapped a photo with them, she turned around, made a vague motion tracing the limited space between their shoulders, and asked rather forwardly, "Uh, So is it true that you two are... Azirpil's heart stuttered in its rhythm and tripped spilling all of his previously bubblish giddiness all over the floor, where it immediately turned into an ice-cold slush. The rose-colored tent of the evening, full of fans so politely allowing Earfield to follow along with their favorite author, had suddenly taken on a completely different meaning. They'd assumed we were together, he thought incredulously. together. Together. He almost began to laugh, and then felt his eyes stinging with embarrassment, and then swallowed it back, pieced together a polite smile. Oh, we're not... Yeah, Crowley cut in, and then he reached down and grabbed, grabbed fails hand. The woman, somehow completely missing the deer and headlights' look sported by half of the party, nodded cordially. Oh, I see... You hadn't mentioned having a partner on your blog, so I just thought. Her eyes flickered between them, looking for an explanation. We've, um, just recently gotten to it, replied Crowley. Known each other for a while, though. That part's true enough, thought Aziraphale, because it was due to this very fact that he was able to pick up the telltale signs of complete and utter panic between the hairline splits in Crowley's voice. He didn't remember when the woman walked away, because his head was full of glass and he didn't feel well. He only came back to himself when Crowley let go of his hand, and breathing felt like an option again. "'Sorry,' Crowley barked out before sloshing more alcohol into his mouth. shouldn't have. I just... they kept coming over and trying to flirt, and... I'm sorry.' Flexing his hand against the phantom of the fingers he'd recently lost... Azirfea lowered his eyes and angled himself away to ease the sting. He didn't mind. He tried to convince himself. Not really. It wasn't as if it was Crowley's fault. From how well the evening had gone, the only direction left to go was down. By all accounts, he should have been grateful that he got as much out of it as he had. That Crowley had trusted him enough to play pretend so readily but despite the ample practice he had in convincing others with pretty words and phrases, he was not altogether convincing himself of anything at this moment. You know, he began to say just to fill the void of the awkward silence. For someone who writes so much about romance, you're certainly very bad at it. Crowley paused the drink a centimeter away from his lips. He said, you have so many willing participants? Azirphil explained needlessly. Even to his own ears, he sounded strangely upset. He wasn't upset, not in the slightest. Maybe a little stressed. But you've not given a single one of them a chance. He set his still empty hand down on his lap and looked up at the small groups of people now mingling by the individual tables. Instead, you're hiding behind me of all people. You, of all people, repeated Crowley incredulously. Just now, for example, as nodded to the woman who was making her way back to her table, presumably to report the rejection. She was very beautiful, clearly interested, and if she went and asked, isn't she your type? He didn't plan on meeting Crowley's eyes at first. "'stared stubbornly straight ahead. "'But when Crowley didn't answer, "'he had to take the bait and look back at the other. "'He had to gaze at the colorless reflection of himself "'in the man's dark glasses. "'They were frustrating, "'but Aziraphale could see the drop of the jaw, "'the complete befuddlement written all over Crowley's face, "'even with the other obstacles in the way. "'Not my... you... "'do you even know what my type is?' Crowley choked out. You said you like blondes, supplied fail He remembered a conversation from a year ago. They'd both been drunk on the phone with each other, joking about a character they were co-writing, and Crowley had mentioned it offhand. She was blonde? You're blonde. fail felt his eyes widen and hurried to grab a hold of them figuratively speaking, schooling his expression back into casual indifference despite his quickening pulse. It doesn't mean what you think it means. He scolded himself stubbornly. He's just making a point. He's not... And besides, you're... (laughs) I'm a man, he said. And then as if to make up for the ridiculousness of the announcement, added padding to the sentence... I know it's difficult to tell, underneath the layer of book dust and waistcoats, but I assure you. I'm attracted to men, Crowley said. As Azirfeel lost the mental battle with his eyelids. He could feel his eyebrows drifting away towards his hairline at the same time. His heart was somewhere in his throat, drumming on the door of his esophagus, wanting to be let out. His feet were missing in action, he couldn't feel them. Overall, he felt himself coming apart and floating away limb by limb, with little left to hold himself together. I mean, added Crowley, I am attracted to women, but men, also men, I'm bisexual. Oh, said Azir Fail. Yeah, said Crowley. It may have been the lighting of the establishment, or Crowley may have been going quite red about the ears. In a domino effect, Aziraphale could feel himself warming up as well. The tension crackling between them could have probably powered a, a, a contraption of some sort. Oh, this wouldn't do. Aziraphale was losing brain cells. The rest of his body he wasn't particularly attached to, but his clear mind, more than any other attributes, he still had a bit of pride in. In retrospect, he said, that does explain a lot. Curly opened his mouth as if to speak, failed, and then tried again. Such as, he said in a brave imitation of casual civility, the eight page email you wrote me after you went to see Hamlet about the fellow who played Hamlet. As raised his drink to his mouth and caught it with his bottom lip, pleasantly surprised to find that his hand wasn't trembling any more, he took a sip and even managed to summon a small smile. You were very cross and clearly very taken with him. I was very drunk, countered Crowley. Wait, how do you know it was eight pages? Uh, I may or may not have printed it and framed it above my desk as an exemplary form of literary analysis. It was like the curtains opening up. Crowley snorted abruptly and then they were both laughing, red-faced from the combined relief of the moment having passed. The tension leaked away and they were back again, just two old friends, side by side. The previous comments faded into the background and in his mind, as took the information like an old book shut the color of crowley's warming skin between the pages slotted a bookmark into the way the other man's hair caught the light and then shelved the entire ordeal as far back as possible determined not to retrieve it again potentially ever the evening was winding to a close Around 11 p.m. the crowds were dispersing, and they bid goodbye to the remaining few that stayed behind to pick up the extra trash and pay the owner and ambled outside, still falling over each other laughing about something or other of extreme insignificance. "'Oh!' realized Curly as they swayed towards his antique car, still waiting for them in the parking lot. "'I can't drive. Oh, I didn't think about that. No breaking news there!' snorted his earfeel, though he was still in good spirits. We'll have to order a cab. I actually live nearby, said Crowley, turning to look back at him with a bit more control than should be possible given his levels of inebriation. Could come back to my place, if you'd like. Zierfail, who had been in the process of tying his tartan scarf around his throat to shield it from the wind chill, immediately found that his internal temperature skyrocketed so much that he didn't need to finish the action. He also might have forgotten how to breathe. It couldn't possibly be. He thought firmly for the third time that evening. He looked up. Crowley was looking back at him, waiting. He had barely known the man five full hours, and yet it was difficult to miss the nervous jump of his Adam's apple, the way he scrunched his shoulders and bounced his heel, a snake preview of something being shaken apart with anxiety. Azirphail had known these hobbits barely five hours, but the Crowley hidden behind them was someone he'd been friends with for years. It was like realizing that English had many forms, speech, and script. He was already fluent in the spoken form, in the man's shortcuts through conversations, in the bastardization of curses, in the way he always talked too much when he felt the need to fill up space and self-defense. Seeing the lines of Crowley's familiar patterns finally written into a body, the letters of each of his motions, it wasn't difficult to put two and two together and start reading. Aziraphale was good at reading. It could possibly be. He allowed himself to think for a brief second, then he banished the thought again. You're drunk, said fail trying to sound convinced and convincing, whichever one did the job. "'Not as drunk as all that,' Crowley countered. "'I could drink more, honestly, if you wanted to do that instead. "'I know a few bars we could, um.' "'He glanced up across the street and stuffed his hands into his pockets, "'shrugging so vehemently his collar swallowed up his ears. "'Could go find you someone else to go home with.' As the AirVale's eyebrows were threatening to defect to his hairline. "'Someone else.' He thought an offense and then skipped ahead to the bigger picture. Are you suggesting we go cruising? Yeah, if you want. I don't know. I haven't been recently. Don't have many friends that are. don't have many friends in general. Except you, I guess. Crowley's speech was picking up pace at alarming rates, like he was trying to get the words out before he could think of them. "'Could be fun, you know. When's the last time you went cruising? "'And don't say 1912, because that's not the cruising I'm talking about.' "'Azirphail paused, his open mouth staring to frown in befuddlement. "'1912? What? Oh, the Titanic.' "'He groaned and rolled his eyes as much as was physically possible. "'Good Lord, Crowley, I'm not that old.' i then stop acting so shocked that I suggested it. The other was beginning to undulate a little bit more than usual. Perhaps a cold was getting to him. But judging by the tightness of the jaw and the nervous way he was kicking the pavement, temperature may not have been the culprit. A few other possibilities were beginning to look realistic. You don't have to. I just figured I owe you from tonight. I really hate being indebted to people, so I figured we could go back to your place, Hazierfield echoed. Crowley's 60fps became a still frame. In spite of it being utterly impossible to tell, Hazierfield pictured his wide eyes behind his glasses. His throat bobbed. He licked his lips and in the brief millisecond it took for his tongue to become visible, Aziraphale could already imagine a thousand other scenes it could be involved in. Call it a talent. Call it desperation. Because he was a pessimist and overly critical of himself and silly, sure. But he wasn't stupid. And he wasn't in Crowley's league, not by miles and miles. But Crowley was clearly suggesting it. Such a chance would not present itself again, surely. Surely. That is, mm-mm, he said, clearing his throat with the edge of a habitual worry that was beginning to creep over him. If you're still offering. Offering, Crowley rasped. I'm, yeah, I'm still bloody offering. What else do you think I'm doing out here in this freezing cold? He seemed on edge, lightly vibrating with nerves, but he was vibrating closer, which was a good sign. Earfield took a deep breath and slowly reached up and hooked his fingers on Crowley's shades. There was just a bit of hesitation, but the other didn't protest, merely pulled his head back to allow the arms to dislodge from his ears. Behind the darkened glasses, his eyes were guarded, full of far more emotion than his fill had been ready for. His breath caught, and he found himself struggling to say something, anything, to break his attention. Well, allow me to tempt you. Crowley's throat jumped eagerly. Oh, no, he corrected, and watched with growing curiosity at the muted fireworks display of emotions playing out on the face before him. That's your job, isn't it? Dashing, romantic author that you are. Crowley's lips were twitching into a hopeful, very flirtatious sort of smile. It did things to his ear fail beyond the obvious physical reaction. Stirred some sort of warmth deep inside him that he didn't quite feel ready to put a name to though thankfully the fact the man was licking his lips again helped recalibrate his priorities to more primal ones very quickly. I can certainly do my best. Crowley choked out. Oh, murmured his ear pale and reached down, tucking the sunglasses into the V of the black silk button-up shirt. It's not going to take that much, trust me. Later when questioned by his own self at 3 a.m. on many a sleepless night, airfield would bring up in his own defense a specific quote from a specific source which he had referenced to make his decisions for that night. It had served him well in the past, and he had hoped, against his better judgment, that it would be true in this particular case as well. The only way to get rid of a temptation is to yield to it. It should have worked. Then again, Oscar had been wrong before. End of part one.